0: All right, welcome everybody to the fourth edition of Real Hawk Talk. I'm here, Jeff Simmons. We're here with Brian Nemhauser, and we got a lot on the show we're excited to talk about tonight. The Seahawks opened up their preseason last Sunday with an absolute whooping. of The Los Angeles Chargers, I almost called them San Diego again. I'm still getting used to that, and there was a lot to break down from that game. There was a ton of developments, whether it was the offensive line, whether it was the backup quarterback, receivers all up and down the roster there's a ton of fun stuff going on with this team right now there's been a ton of news already this week and me and brian can't wait to break it down so brian you have some announcements to make before we get into the nitty-gritty of the show so you can take it away
1: yeah uh, i can't wait to talk hawks there's a lot to talk about tonight so uh, that's gonna be fun and um uh excited I actually thought I'd have a couple announcements tonight there's one big one I'm gonna have to hold off for at least probably the next episode but uh, I think people are gonna be happy about it uh, as you know um, we started the patreon page this year uh, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com patreon.com slash hawk blogger now lets people support the site um, become sponsors uh, get access to our private uh, Facebook group and um, and just get access to us on, on a little bit more personal level, which has been really cool. Um, and it's also been a possible for people to sign up as sponsors for the site. And uh, one of those sponsors um, is going to be one of, one of the folks uh, helping us on this podcast. And I wish you were here, Jeff. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, Steam Donkey Brewery. Oh, no. In Washington has uh, kindly um, sent some, uh, some of their IPA. And we're going to take a look in a second, but uh, I've got my nice Seahawks mug, my glass, my pint here. And uh, I'm going to need something to, to, to eat with this in the future, but we'll figure that out. But uh, I will probably be taunting you with this throughout the episode. It was really
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely jealous.
1: It's really good. So just quickly, uh, you know, for folks that haven't... Uh, uh, still down that way. Um, so you have to go down there and, uh, find them, but it's really good stuff. They're huge Seahawks fans are good people. Um, so cheers to John Bennett and his wife and, uh, cheers to Team Docky Brewery for uh, sponsoring uh, part of the podcast today. So thanks for that.
0: Yeah, Brian's living it up over there with some good beers. I'm sitting here drinking water. My answers are going to get a lot
1: better at the end of this uh, podcast, exactly. I think.
0: Oh, I'm excited to see how this goes now. Yeah, exactly. All right, <laughs> so, yeah, let's get going now. I want to hit you up on, obviously, the the game from Sunday night. The game started a little bit slow. The team got burned on their first drive by Phillip Rivers, and Antonio Gates scored in the end zone. But then once the second and third stringers got in, the Seahawks completely blew the Chargers out of the water. And obviously, I'm going to give you a little, you don't want to make too much out of one preseason game, especially a game where the starters played one series. However, I still think there's a ton that you can take away from that preseason game. And just from an eye test perspective, the team looked different than it's looked the last couple of years. And I mentioned this to you in our first episode prior to the beginning of training camp. What really stood out to me in that game was just the depth of the Seahawks and from the top down and at so many levels of their team, whether it was running back, receiver, now linebacker, even offensive line a little bit, they just looked like they were playing at a different speed once the backups came in. The Chargers looked pretty good against the ones, but once the twos and threes came in, the Seahawks just blew them out of the water. And they haven't looked that good in in a preseason game really since the Super Bowl years. And I started digging into the numbers a little bit, And the three best seasons they've had in the Carroll era, 2012, 2013, 2014, they had a plus 40 point differential in preseason games. I know it's just preseason, but that kind of showed the depth of those teams. In the last couple of years, it kind of got around plus eight, plus two. And I don't know, just from the eye test point, they were flying to the ball. And the last couple of years, once the preseason started, once the ones came out, the team really dropped off in performance and you saw it last year with all those injuries. So that's my, that was my big takeaway. Just watching the game live on the TV copy, then watching the tape after, I don't know what your big takeaway from the game, the, your biggest observations, but I guess you can comment on what I saw and maybe jump in with what you really saw in that game.
1: Yeah, it was, that was fun. I haven't had that much fun watching a preseason game in a long time. Um, and, uh, my son and I, uh, You know posted up on the couch and and uh can't always can't always get him to watch a whole preseason game you know but he was definitely down for this one and um uh i thought you know opening drive um i'm not going to just toss that aside but um you know the the philip rivers and the chargers showed us back in 2014 second game of that season after the cx won the super bowl They had a plan, they had a new blueprint for how to attack the Seahawks offense. Passes underneath, passes to the running backs, um, uh, a lot of short stuff and they worked in the tight ends in the red zone and they won that game. There was other things going on, the heat and so forth, but I thought it was a really solid game plan and we've seen other people do it. And the fact that they were able to do that this time, I don't think means nothing. I think the, you know, I heard Cliff Averill to say today to, to G. Scott, uh, you know, hey, it's hard to get up for one when you know, you're only going to play one series. I think that's totally true, but that also looked pretty familiar. So I think we've seen that before when they're plenty up for the game, and, you know, and they still have to answer that question of how they're going to adjust to these underneath uh, offenses that are attacking them um, uh, short. I thought we saw Shaq Griffin um, get tested deep, and he was – in that guy's hip pocket, I think that was a great sign. And when you talk about the speed, I think one thing you said, Jeff, that really hit home for me is they were playing at a different speed. And I don't know, like, uh, (laughs) I only bring this up because it's uh, relevant, but, you know, I noticed that and I tweeted, you know, I think we're going to get a turnover here um on twitter and that was right before the terrence garvin pick six and uh the reason i i said that i said it to my son first and then i decided to put it on twitter was i could just see the speed difference and the aggressiveness difference between the seahawks backups and the chargers and whenever you have that kind of tenacity on one side against a little more timid timidness on the other that's when things like turnovers start to happen so that i thought that was great to see
0: yeah, and it's it's hard to discount just how much different the roster looked maybe just compared to last year from a depth standpoint, whether it was linebacker, running back, receiver. Most of their top guys didn't even suit up for the game, and Paul Richardson had to leave pretty early. And they had guys all over the field flashing from all three levels of the defense, all over the offensive line even. And I guess my big takeaway, if we're still looking at the offensive line, since it's always going to be a talking point, was – I liked what I saw from Luke Jokel hmm. and he looked very sound in protection, especially pass protection, which was nice to see based on all the criticism of that signing and I watched his film pretty closely and he really looked smart and reliable and he fit in but the right side of the offensive line. That also jumped off the page in a negative way for me and Jermaine Fetty made a few plays that were obvious to miss on film just a few whiffs in both the run and the passing game and Kind of a guy who wasn't getting as much negative attention, who worried me a little bit, is Mark Lewinsky. He struggled in run blocking. He whiffed a couple times. I think number 71 on the Chargers was Damian Square. He missed a couple easy blocks on him, routine plays. And when Ethan Posich came in later in the game, he looked a lot more sound. Now, obviously, he's going against second and third string players. I'm kind of wondering, based on what Pete said today, it doesn't seem like they're down on a Fetty and maybe Glowinski as others, but how much did that jump off the page to you? And do you think Posit should get more of a look going forward?
1: Yeah. You know, what I've been writing in, in camp, first of all, I think you're spot on, on a Fetty. I mean, uh, he, <laughs> I wrote it when it happened. I mean, he got beat up inside from, um, I think it was Joey Bosa, uh, on the- I think it was a second down play that that forced a third down. Russell had to throw it early before the the play could develop. Um, and I mean, I think he got beat again uh, later in the same series. But look, he's he's a guy that I don't expect to be a solid pass protector. I think he can be a above average run blocker, and I think that matters. And you got to figure out the right balance. Ethan Posick, who I've been writing has been really solid pass protection, but questionable in run blocking. I was really happy with what I saw with him in the run game. He was finishing blocks better than anybody else. Now I can't speak to how well he was, you know, executing those blocks, but he was showing a tenacity that people have talked about. Um, I heard from Tony softly. I've heard from uh, Duke Mayweather. Weather maybe as many weather, but uh, many weather. Uh, a couple different offensive line uh, scouts that Posick is known for really finishing his blocks and playing nasty, and he's not going to do that in practice against his teammates as much apparently, but it showed up in that game, and I got to think Tom Cable loves that stuff, so um, yeah, I I absolutely think that Ethan Posick is one of your best five and how they figure that out whether they figure that out um whether it's game one or a game later um we'll find out but but uh i i think that guy's a, a day one starter and and uh, i hope the team finds a way to make that happen
0: yeah and i was kind of alarmed to hear pete be, pete's always positive but he was pretty positive about how a played and based on what i saw i I viewed it totally different. I know it was his first game of right tackle since playing in the NFL. And if this team's really about competition and it's not where you're drafted, they got to put the best player on the field. And I know people keep preaching that if Eddie was a first round pick and you got to make sure he's not a bust, but the way the teams operate in the past is they've been quick to acknowledge mistakes and they've been willing to move on. So if this team is serious about that and postage keeps playing like this, I would have loved to see him get this, start a right tackle coming up because the Vikings have a great defensive line and it'd be a great test to see if what we saw against the twos and threes were real. And I the starters are probably going to play a little bit more this week, maybe closer to a, at least a quarter. But I, I just get the feeling we're going to be talking about offensive line every week on this show. So outside of that, who, who else jumped off the tape to you, either positive or negatively from this game against Los Angeles? Well,
1: um, just in responding what you say, and then I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll go there. Is you know, we've seen the team rotate players like Lowinski and obushi playing with the ones, or when they really want to have comp- they, Fant and Jokel at left tackle, both got you know pretty early snaps. Uh, postick didn't play until either late second quarter or into the second half. It was, I think, it was second half if I remember right. So. It doesn't have the same feel that there's the same level of competition there, but yet it really looks like there should be. So um, that's the first sign to look for is do we see POSIC getting any rotation or a series with the ones, even against Minnesota? Um, I think you're right. That would be an important thing to see. And I don't know why the team, unless the team has just completely sold on the Fetty, why they wouldn't do that. Um, I'm not worried about Fetty being a bust. I mean, he very well might be, but James Carpenter was a mess his first year and into most of his second year. Justin Britt was a mess for his first two years, now he's a Pro Bowl alternate. Like, I'm not ready to pull out the bus term because he has got really unique physical makeup, but um, he's not. I don't think he's particularly close to being a good offensive lineman. So, you know, I I I hear you there, and I hear that people. only handle so much offensive line talk so so moving on um uh, other guys that stood out for me i think was your question and and um i mean obviously the obvious answer is case williams um this is a guy that last year i picked to make the roster he was one of my sleeper guys that i thought was going to move past um some of the other players on the team and um he got injured and he was out He couldn't stay on the field And uh, he's had that problem before, and finally, on the field, got his chances, looked like the player I think we know he can be, and um, really interesting. He's got to string together multiple games like that, and he's got to find a way to make an impact on special teams. It is not enough to have four big catches for 100-plus yards as a receiver and call it a day because he's not going to be one of the top four receivers on this team. So he's got to make special teams plays and he's got to show that he can do this, you know, multiple games, uh, through this preseason.
0: Yeah. The guy, the couple guys that really stood out to me, one was, I know you mentioned him on Twitter was Nazir Jones. I thought he was, he looked like a really interesting player that could move all over the defensive line and the energy he played with really fits the way the Seahawks like their defensive linemen to play and you saw him at the three technique and the five technique and he was making plays as a penetrator as a run stuffer and the Seahawks have been inconsistent with their third round picks lately and with McDowell down right now if he can keep flashing like the way he has that really helps you because you don't have a kind of player right now that can kind of move all over the line and some of the other defensive linemen actually stood out to me I thought Jaron Reed he didn't play too much but he was playing at a different speed and I know Cliff Averill keeps talking about him and Michael Bennett as a guy, they really see jumping. I know Chris Richard mentioned it on softy show this week and he just was playing at a different speed than I saw last year. And it was really on the first drive with Melvin Gordon is one of the quickest running backs in the league. We made a couple of really impressive run stuffs on him and he looked th- quicker, noticeably quicker, and that was kind of the downs the downside on him last year. He wasn't really penetrating into the backfield and was more of just a solid run player. But yeah. if you can have him and Nazir Jones kind of flashing like that against high quality players, that's really going to go a long way for a team that really hasn't had too much depth across their defensive line since the Super Bowl year. And I think that's
1: a great that's a great call out on uh, Nazir Jones, and uh, I think we can agree to call him Naz from now on because. Uh, yeah. That's too much. But <laughs> uh, shout out to CJ uh who's one of our new writers on the, the blog and has been touting Naz since uh, the draft and been excited about him. And <laughs> who I uh, somehow falsely reported was overweight when uh, within the, I think it was the <laughs> second day of camp. Uh, I don't know if he was wearing a, a sweat, a hoodie underneath his jersey, or if I saw the wrong number, but the guy I saw had a massive belly and and uh, Naz does not have one. So, um, yeah, I think he showed out. I, I reported in the scrimmage. He was the, one of the guys that stood out to me, and not because he's, you know, stuff in the run, which I think is what he was drafted for, but because he created some pass pressure. And um, that's big. Right now, Jaron Reed is the guy that's stepping in from Blake McDowell in the nickel interior rush um, role next to Michael Bennett. I you know, I like Jaron Reed. I think he's a fine player. I don't think he's ever going to be a a high quality interior pass rusher. So um, Naz is a guy that could, I think, step into that role. Uh, And if nothing else, he's six foot five. And what did we see? We saw him tip a pass, cause an interception. My theory, and it's just a theory is part of the reason they drafted, you know, six foot, six inch Malik McDowell and six foot, five inch uh, Nazir Jones Is because they're trying to combat the short passing game um, by getting guys that can raise their hands up and block passes and clog the passing lanes for those quick short throws it doesn't have to be about hitting the quarterback it can be about getting your hands up so I thought he was great I'm curious what you thought about David Bass number 47 I mean this is a guy that that I've seen show up a little bit in one-on-one pass rush drills I, you know, I, I was really impressed with uh, the way he showed up and he's got some results in the league. He's got five um, he's got five and a half sacks in his career in the NFL. So you know, it's uh, I don't know what you saw, but I saw someone that, that might get a little bit more more time coming up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was re- reading my notes earlier in the day and he, his name just kept popping up and it, whether he was playing with effort and speed and power, and he looked really quick and really strong, and he was a guy who was totally off my radar. He just seemed like a camp body, to be honest, going into camp. And he he looked very consistent and very good. And I don't know if he's going to be battling with Marcus Smith for maybe one of the last spots in the defensive line at the outside. But I read today that uh, Bass was getting some time with the ones today as the yep. starter, and he definitely earned that. And he's the kind of player you're going to need to see him play like that maybe through all four preseason games, but he's definitely earned a look and his name kept popping up Cassius Marsh. I thought it looked really solid. He's he really put in a lot of work in the off season. I know he went down to that Von Miller uh, pass rush. I don't know if it's an Academy or just a, a weekend down there. And he looked, uh, he just looked more refined to the pass rusher and they really need him as kind of an edge guy on third down. They like to move Clark and Bennett inside and to have him and maybe Marcus Smith and, they really got some nice depth there and I it's just a consistent theme I saw on the roster. Another area I want to hit on too before we kind of get going on other things is the running back competition. Hmm. <laughs> uh Thomas Rawls, Thomas Rawls started with the ones. Yeah. Uh Chris Carson's continuing to flash. I thought Mike Davis looked pretty good. And I, I saw I saw some mixed response to Eddie Lacy and I watched Lacy's carries. He didn't dominate or anything like that but i thought he got around the edge a lot quicker than he used to and he had one carry in the red zone where he just got stuffed immediately so that might have been in people's minds but i thought he looked better than some of the reports i heard about him being slow he got around an edge and what and did you think of Chris
1: Carson? this is your first time seeing him in live action right so so what did you think uh what was your first impression
0: he reminds me a lot of thomas rolls and the way he runs with power and the way he hits the hole pretty decisively they have a similar body type and P. Carroll's kind of identified those same late round seventh round type players. And that first run he had was really nice. That got called back by a penalty. And again, I want to see him go against maybe better competition because this charger's depth, as I mentioned, was not very good, but he looks exactly like Thomas Rawls. I don't know if you saw anything different. That's but... so
1: funny. I, you know, uh, probably good that we d- don't agree on everything, but, uh, he doesn't't he doesn't, he doesn't look to me like Thomas Rawls really that much um, you're probably not the only one that's that's made that comparison but Thomas is he's a little squattier and um, and a little wider and uh, his running style for me is is quite a bit different Thomas is like a million miles an hour and you know, he does tend to make a couple cuts. He's not a one cut and go kind of guy. Um, the guy that keeps coming to mind when I see Chris Carson is Ricky Waters. Um, he's he's a little taller, a little more muscular, um, you know, and then a little bit of Chris Warren too, like a little bit more of a strider than, you know, he glides through. He's not like a, you know, he's not a jitterbug, although, One of the things that really opened my eyes with Carson this time was play only got maybe three yards, but he made a jump cut laterally um, to his right, covered about two yards in one one cut. And uh, Thomas Rawls, I think is one of the best in the league at this. This is one of the things that's really unique about Thomas Rawls. He can cover a lot of ground laterally when he makes a jump cut. And um, so I hadn't seen Carson show that kind of lateral movement. It was great to see. And then after the jump cut he spun inside um so i've not seen him actually you know put moves on defenders i've just seen him run and cut you know like put his foot in the ground and run straight ahead and then bowl into somebody so it was good to see a little bit of variety to his game and man you can't be a seahawks fan and not be excited to see your running back face plant a 285 pound defensive end into the end zone for a touchdown i mean like uh, i'm pretty sold on the guy like he needs to be on the roster and and uh i think that's bad news for alex collins
0: yeah i don't i don't see how alex collins makes this team now i don't know if he's a trade bait kind of situation or they're gonna maybe showcase him for another team but i think carson's definitely jumped ahead of him and i don't know how they're gonna get these guys all carries in the season there's so many options and between Rawls and then CJ Prosize who has a pretty defined role. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how high Carson can continue to rise up and I guess the other guy we have to hit on and I know you mentioned CJ he he got into depth on this player and we all talked about Colin Kaepernick all off season and there's been a lot of talk about how poor the backup quarterbacks have looked in training camp. And I said it last week. Some players just they find a way to play better under the lights. Maybe they're not as refined technically and just when the game's on there's something about them that jumps off the page there's always guys like that in every camp but Trevon Boykin was maybe the best player on the field last in the first game and he was making plays that maybe he can't show in everyday practice and maybe he needs live action to make but he just looked smooth he was moving around he really showed good command of the offense and he, he he was probably the biggest shock for me out of that game because from everything I heard and from all indications, the backup quarterback play had been terrible in camp. And every time the guy touched the ball, he was making a play. So I don't know. I don't know how you evaluate that moving forward, but I don't hear much Colin Kaepernick, Seattle talk this week.
1: Yeah. And this is one that CJ and, and, and you Jeff see a little differently than I do. And I, I I'm absolutely in the minority on this. So, uh, and I'm, I'm comfortable being in the minority, (laughs) Uh, but I thought Trayvon had a fine game. Um, I thought that uh, a number of his throws were well, well thrown deep balls that you know Kaysen was able to make the catch, and I think he you know he definitely gets some credit for that. But I don't think they were necessarily great reads, or and in a couple of cases, I think they were actually pretty underthrown. Um, and he also had Cyril Grayson for what would have been a touchdown or at least a completion if he hadn't pretty drastically underthrown that. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that Trayvon Boykin had a good game. I think that the team is very comfortable with him as their backup is, you know, relative to the other options they've got. But, um. I'm not at all convinced that Trayvon Boykin is a good quarterback yet. Um, I I still, you know, I've seen too much evidence of him being a a one read and run guy. Um, If his read isn't there, he takes off. He starts scrambling around and we sometimes, you know, I'm one of them. I'll I'll bring up that Russell does that too much. Um, He puts his eyes down. He misses the options downfield. He, and some of that's, (laughs) <laughs> 'cause the poor guy is so used to getting his you know tail rung by a, by a defensive lineman because um, his offensive line can't block. but uh, Russell's 30 times better about that than, than Trayvon is. So uh, I think he's got a long way to go. Um, I thought it was a good game. He's absolutely a gamer and his his skill set, you know, it's tough to defend. So I think all that is absolutely true, but, um, I think Seahawks fans would be pretty disappointed if they had to see him on a regular basis. Um, he is, you know, he's not even a Tavares Jackson level backup as far as I'm concerned. So he's a get by for a few quarters or maybe a game, but, uh, it'd be hard to win with him.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh. Everyone's everyone's gonna have it. gonna to pour the, the cold you know, water on the water fun? On but the I, I think you made some good fun. points in there. I think you made some <laughs> fair points. And one of the caveats we have to mention when we're evaluating these preseason games is teams aren't game planning for these players. Sure. So a guy like Boykin, you can really put a game plan in and really maybe he'd be a lot different if you kind of study his tape and really make him that one read player. But yeah i think he's well, the kind of player let's be you
1: know. honest sorry to interrupt but like uh colin kaepernick colin kaepernick who you brought up as another option and played in the super bowl he's one of the most egregious one read players in football so it's not like boykin is alone but but yeah that's anyway go on
0: no no i was gonna ask you yeah, quickly before we uh move on here uh i guess we were just talking quarterbacks how do you think Russell looked? He, we only got to see him for one series, and yep. some of his plays were quickly ended by uh, Jermaine Fetti's mistakes. But for me, my take on Russell is he was getting the ball out quick, like that 2015 season. He looked, he looked slimmer, he looked a little quicker. But it was nice to see him get the ball out as quickly as he was when he was really rolling on all cylinders. He made that beautiful sideline pass to Paul Richardson before he got hurt, and. I know you, you can't really generate much from one series, but, yeah. Any quick takeaways on him?
1: I think Russell looks as good as he's looked in in years. Um, I thought he looked in command. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly excited to, to see more of him. And, look, Doug Baldwin was not in that game. They did not target Jimmy Graham once. Tyler Lockett was not in that game. Those are his three top targets and yeah you know, as bug of a fan like doug baldwin's my guy like he's he's the jersey i wear i'm a huge fan of his um but i even had to like remind myself gosh he's a huge part of this offense like the offense looks really different with different without him out there as a emergency you know a relief valve for for russell and so even as they started to take the field, it's like yeah this is gonna be kind of tough like going to face pressure. He's not going to have his quick fix targets like Doug or Tyler to get open really quickly. Um, and look, the fact that he used Paul Richardson twice, uh, you know, Marcus Lucas, who by the way has had a really solid camp, still playing well. Um, we t- mentioned Tyron swoops too, because he, he had some nice plays there as, as tight end, um, but he used Marcus Lucas. He used Paul Richardson twice, a um, couple runs by Rawls, um, you know, and that, that was basically it. So I, I think, I think there's a lot more upside. Um, I think he's just getting started and, and uh, look, I picked him to win the MVP last year. I think this guy's got an MVP season in him, and, and why not this year? Um, why not?
0: They just need below average pass protection.
1: <laughs> anything above that Dude, let's go for average at least i mean i'm just saying they just
0: bad. below average yeah. for him to function at a crazy level anything above that he could be an mvp level player even that 2015 season when they had justin britta left guard and patrick lewis at center and sweezy who's more of a run player he yeah. just gets average pass protection this guy's gonna light the nfl up with these targets and if we can I get a run right. game yeah
1: I think you're right. And and I think it's worth, you know, you mentioned the time to throw. Uh, I think I retweeted PFF proof of focus had a stat out there that time to throw was under two seconds um, in that game. And uh, you know, Russell, his first three years in the league, 31 or 32 out of 32 quarterbacks when it came to time to throw. Cause he scrambles cause he does a lot of other stuff and people don't want to hear it, but it contributes to his sack totals because he doesn't get rid of the ball as quickly. And you look at a guy like Peyton Manning when he was playing or Tom Brady, they are consistently top five in the league in time to throw. And that is the number one way to help your offensive line. You know, they don't have to pass protect for, for two seconds you know, that's a lot easier job, um, for, for any, for any offensive lineman.
0: Yeah. And we're going to get into Russell more each and every week as we get closer to the start of the regular season. We just saw one series out of him, but getting back to something we were talking about before, we mentioned it with Alex Collins and his roster spotter looks really in jeopardy based on some of the other breakout players, maybe a David Bass or, a Case and Williams that we didn't maybe see as initial guy for the 53 man cut. Is there anyone else player that you think is kind of in jeopardy after the first game of the preseason, or is it a little too early at this point still?
1: Well, <laughs> I think you, I don't think we talked about it last time, but uh, you know, I, I haven't made a lot of friends on Twitter for a variety of reasons, but um, uh, I don't currently have Mara Darbo making the roster um and you know he missed the first game case williams certainly had a big game kenny lawler caught a touchdown had a great block um, on one of boykins runs um david moore had a good game was physical after the catch made every catch thrown his way uh, for every pass thrown his way um paul richardson solid like I don't think you can make the assumption that Darbo makes it. Everyone says that's crazy. He's a third-round pick, and it probably is. But I'll tell you, he has not stood out in practice that much. He's not that sudden of a player. He, his best attribute probably is his ability to high point a ball, which I haven't seen him really do yet in practice. Kason Williams certainly has proven that he has that ability, and really. I think special teams is a big factor, as I mentioned before, for Kaysen. I think Darbo has a lot of uh, potential on special teams. But then you got Tanner McAvoy, who he almost blocked a punt in this game. He's been a special teams player. And I heard Pete Carroll, you know, one, in a press conference, they asked about the receiving court, and he brought up Tanner McAvoy on his own, started talking about him. And then in an interview with Softy uh, on KJR, they were going around about receivers again, and he brought up Tanner McAvoy and went on about how much he thinks he can be special. So if you do the numbers, Jeff, you got Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, Paul Richardson, who are absolute locks. Mm-hmm. I know people don't want to hear it, but I think Jermaine Curse is pretty close to a, an absolute lock. And that's four players. They usually keep five. Let's assume for a second that the fifth player is – uh, Kason, you know, let's just take that for a second. I don't know if that's gonna be true. Yeah, you know, if even if they keep six players, you got JD McKissick, who I I think is a really strong option, can back up CJ ProSize at running back, can back up Tyler Lockett, a returner, and a good receiver. You got Tanner McAvoy, you got Darbo, you got Moore, you got Lawler. They're all running for one spot, so that's that's a of all the positions on the roster, I actually think wide receiver is going to be the hardest to, to predict.
0: Uh, and Yeah, this comes yeah. back down to the simple fact of how much they value where someone was drafted. And I know people were freaking out. He's a third-round pick. He's a third-round pick. But the way Pete Carroll and John Schneider have operated in the past is their their motto is I don't care where a guy was drafted. Once they're on the field, the best players are going to play. And if Darbo's not one of the best six, I don't, I don't care that he was drafted in the third round. Dave, Matt, based on that logic, Matt Flynn would have started a couple years ago. And Darbo's going to have to earn it. It was funny, the day after you were tweeting that stuff about Darbo, he apparently had his best day of practice. So maybe he's been reading your profile. Or maybe someone uh, updated him onto that. But this receiver battle is crazy. I don't know. Every preseason game, people are going to look deeper and deeper and deeper. And they're going to try to have to overanalyze every game because getting down to six seems difficult. and. Well, you then when you just broke down the numbers there it kind of stressed me out and yeah, they're gonna so, have to, you know,
1: can you see this here
0: yeah i can see i can see your roster here
1: right so this is this is what i put up as my first uh you know brush projection we should go down this for a second i mean mm-hmm. uh right now i mean tell me where you got anything different i got russell wilson making the team i think he's gonna make the team you agree with that
0: yeah it's, it's, it's a bit of a safe okay plan.
1: all right good uh, I got Trayvon Boykin as a backup uh, as of now. Um, stop me when you disagree with any of this. Thomas Rawls and CJ Procyce, Eddie Lacy and Marcel Reese. I got all of them making the team, and I got Chris Carson as the fifth.
0: Yeah, that's how I would have it as of now.
1: We're good. We're good so far, right? Yeah. So then, wide receiver we just talked about Baldwin, Lockett, Richardson, Curse. I currently have McKissick as fifth. That's probably, you know, that may not be what everyone else has, but I think he offers more. Um, and then you got Tanner McAvoy. So this is the six that I have, um, right here. And, uh, I got Darbo right below that. Um, Casey yeah. Williams wasn't even on the bubble for me before this game. You know, he's going to rock it up the charts in my next version of this. What are your six receivers if they keep six at all?
0: Yeah. My, my initial thought after watching the game, I started asking around some people I trust is, is Jermaine curse on the bubble. I know we talked about this before, but what I was told is based on Doug's a little banged up. Richardson's going to be a little banged up Lockett's coming off an injury. So a guy like curse who can play every position in the offense and who's comfortable yep. and who's a leader. I think that's, I think that's definitely going to happen. I think they're definitely going to keep him now based on the roster makeup. It, these final two spots are so hard because I like you case Williams. wasn't on my radar. He, I hadn't, seen much of him from what i saw in training camp and he's been around the team the last two years and he knows the offense and if he can keep flashing in games i think you gotta bump him up into the top six and right now i think i'm still in on darbo based on yeah. just that basic logic but i i really liked i should have mentioned this earlier kenny lawler looked really good to me and he's yeah. bulked up he's put on some good weight he and one of the things they, they really re- value in their team, at this position is run blocking and special teams. And if he can keep showing the kind of blocks that he showed during the game, and the kind of red zone play, I think that adds another element because since Pete Carroll's been getting here, well, since PR got here seven years ago, they've been looking for that big receiver and they really haven't hit on that guy. They had Mike Williams and Sidney rice for a little bit who are pretty decent, but they want that big receiver to pair with guys like Richardson and Lockett and Baldwin and, I think Lawler offers that skill set a little bit. I mean, he's not physically thick like some of these other guys, but he's tall and he's long and he's got a crazy catch radius. but I don't know. I, I still need to watch that position. i I'm stumped right now.
1: So yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I think the tight end's probably easy. You got Jimmy Graham, Luke Wilson, Nick Vanette. Um, I think that's you know, the easiest I think, position there is. <laughs> I think that's pretty straightforward. I think the offensive line. Justin Britt, Ethan Posick, Luke Jokel, Jermaine Effetti, George Fant, Abushi, Glowinski. I've got Odiombo. Uh, and Roos sounds like a pretty set one. And that's that's nine guys. Um, so that means Joey Hunt doesn't make it. Will Precheck, Daryl Brown. So I think that's pretty straightforward. Maybe Hunt makes it over one of these guys, but I don't think so. I think uh, defense, go ahead. Versatility
0: just. Almost eliminates the need for Hunt because he can slip over at center and that's right. Yeah, so I don't think he can carry a.
1: Yeah, I mean, defensive line, you got Bennett Averill, Clark, Jaron Reed, Ataba Rubin, Jones, Cassius Marsh. All those guys are gonna make it. That's a yeah,
0: those guys are locks.
1: That's seven guys. I think Marcus Smith has a really good shot. We didn't get to see him. I'm looking forward to seeing him in this upcoming game um but then you got david Bass, who really showed out i think rodney cove had a nice game uh i think quinn jefferson's going falling down this list i think garrison smith has been on the team but i don't know and um you know depending on what they do at linebacker and cornerback and safety it's a question of how many they keep and and now i mean doing mcdonald's great game he was the second leading special teams tackler last year I think maybe Mike Morgan doesn't make it. I think that's maybe where they save the spot. But we're going to sure talk about this. But at the cornerback spot, you got Sherman Lane and Griffin, Shaq Griffin. Nico Thorpe is your leading special teams tackle, So you have to think he's going to make it. And now we've got this rumor that, you know, not rumor, it's confirmed Tremaine Brock was in for a, a visit. You know, if they, if they bring him, does that mean DeAndre doesn't make the roster? Does it mean that they keep six there? Um, you know, what's your take on, on what's going on
0: there? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question. And I know a couple people who cover the Seahawks closely, uh John Clayton and Pat Kerwin, who's a good friend of Pete Carroll, and Davis Sue, who's a friend of yours. I spoke with him today. He had heard that the Seahawks were expected to sign Tremaine Brock today. And we're taping in eight forty-three on Tuesday, and there hasn't been any update on Brock since his visit with the team today, but I, I dug around a little bit too. And I heard that the team really want to sign him, and they were expected to sign him at some point barring any crazy developments. But yeah, the, the inclination I got is maybe they wanted more competition at the slot corner position. And they know Brock really well from San, San Francisco days. And he's got a his He was uh, released by San Francisco because of a domestic violence incident that he reportedly got cleared and allegedly is, now not going to have to deal with any consequences but I think the competition comes down to one job because I think that how you laid it out is those four top four guys are locks and it's going to be if they do get Brock a Brock versus Elliott thing and I know the Seahawks in the past have tended to go for maybe a younger player with more upside more club control versus a veteran they did it with Eric Winston a couple years ago when they brought him in for camp and they've done it in multiple other areas but if you can get a guy like Tremaine Brock who's been a starting player and can really give you slot depth with Jeremy Lane who's going to be playing a little outside and he's had inconsistent production, I'm starting to think if they end up bringing him in that Brock is going to be that fifth corner because he can play a bit on special teams too. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know I think Andrew Elliott is a good special teams player and I think a solid corner, but he definitely not the experience that Brock does. Yeah. Um, uh, you could make the argument to keep six corners, but um, you know, looking at my uh, my roster math that I've done, their average since 2010 has been to keep five and a half corners. They have often kept six, so that might be what happens there, but then you got to steal from another position. You've got to one less linebacker, one less defensive lineman, something like that. Um. So, yeah, I I mean, I don't know, obviously I don't know much about Brock, I don't know the details of the mis- violence thing. I don't love the Seahawks' staff, like, again, and, and kind of the, the fringes there of, you know, even if someone's not not found guilty, uh, it's it's it's, not, it's a little disconcerting, you know, you have that stuff come up. Um, and, uh, so, anyway, I, I'll be interested see in what happens there. It could be a really He's the fifth corner do you end yeah. up with uh, you know a situation where Jeremy Lane is is pushed out as not off the roster but it, you know you end up part way through the season where Shaq Griffin and Jermaine Brock are here outside the corners and Jeremy Lane is is not um interesting.
0: Yeah and I know Brock Yord was talking about this today, and I know the team is just buzzing about Shaq Griffin. I know he gave up that touchdown to Antonio Gates in the red zone, and yeah, maybe he did wasn't as maybe strong as some of the reports were on him. But I think the team is just very excited about him from all indications, and I think he'll be starting once the regular season comes sooner than later. But another rookie I want to ask you about, yeah. and we when we well, were getting into the defensive back discussion here, is Tedrick Thompson, who really hasn't flashed much in camp and he was maybe part of the reason they sent or Los Angeles scored that big touchdown. I think he was beat deep on the play from uh Benjamin, the wide receiver from the chargers, Travis Benjamin. Do you think he's in danger of being cut? Because he, he looked slow. I don't know if that's, it was just maybe a a misplay by him or maybe he just misread the play, but he, he, I haven't heard any buzz on him and, He's a guy that didn't run a very fast 40 times. So I'm kind of wondering what they do with this guy because I don't know if he's the kind of guy who's going to splash on special teams either and Bradley McDougal's around. So he's a guy I can see maybe moving towards that bubble if he doesn't start playing better and really starting to show the coaching staff he's kind of a long-term option.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't make any friends <laughs> on Twitter when I said pretty draft. Uh, all right, they signed Brad McDougall. They've got Chancellor Thomas and they got Delano Hill and have Tedder Thompson. They don't always keep five safeties. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of these guys might not be the roster. Like, are you kidding? You know, Tedder Thompson and Delano Hill are locked for definitely going to make the roster. Well, you know, I, I still am not sure that he does. Um, Marcus Primari is the only uh, guy Play a safety. He's a good special teams guy. Um, I think it's probably likely that Thompson makes it, but that could be where they steal an extra roster spot that could go with four safeties. McCool can back up at both spots. Delano Hill. No I that played well and it's been promising. And he's a good guy to make the team. And we haven't even talked about it, but it through this season at some point, six weeks in. Welcome back to Sean Shed, It was their starter quarterback last year. And by that time, I think we both expected to Shaq and the starter. Um, you might have trained Barack and Firmulane on the team as well. You signed, didn't have to sign to Sean at this time for a million and a half and good money. Um it implies that they have a position for him. And but anyway, I, I'm really curious to see if it's a good problem to have like, too many guys, not enough spots, but, um, I don't see, like, just from body language and the way that he's played during practices, you know, I don't see Cedric Thompson screaming to me as a future starter. He seems more like a Geron Johnson at best kind of, like, role-playing safety. I've not seen anything that could me otherwise.
0: Yeah, and so we've kind of gone up and down the roster here and more or less, we seem to have pretty much at this point, very similar make a uh, feel for maybe how, where they stand right now. Receivers probably the big area in question. I think linebacker, if we went through it, we'd be almost identical, but that helps you transition to the next thing I want to talk to you about because um, I was watching good morning football this morning. And I know some of our writers brought it up to your attention early Uh, Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network was on the good morning with Kay Adams and Nate Burleson, and he was talking about his visit at Seahawks camp, and he was down there, I believe, last Monday or Tuesday, and most of his topic was on the offensive line. But towards the end of his segment, he said, don't be surprised. This is just uh, not an exact quote, but don't be surprised if the Seahawks made some tweaks to their roster before they have to get down to the fifty three. And that can be interpreted in a number of different ways. I know a lot of people hit him up on Twitter and he he answers as best as he could. But I guess if we're going, since we just broke down that roster, I guess if they're going to make a tweak, I would guess that means maybe a trade, not like a cut of a Richard Sherman or a big move like that. I think that means maybe bringing in someone from another team. What area of the roster do you see uh, since we just looked at it as kind of an area that they could still tweak? and is that coming via trade, or is that maybe a free agent signing?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting, and, and you, know, you see a bunch of this stuff out there with, with commentators, especially national guys that come in. You learn to kind of separate out of the real stuff from the you know, clickbait or just the rumor monitoring. you seem to know something. Uh, Gravel seems to know something, and uh, it sounded like my interpretation was, here they're interested in trying to get something done. I can't hear sure it's going to Well, what does that mean? That means they have a dependency on another team. Uh, there's a trade that they want to make, have yet to come to terms, haven't been able to get it nailed down. Or they have their eye on you know, a few players that might uh, come around. So, uh, toward the end, a couple guys that come to mind when I hear that. first one would be the one I'd be most excited about, and that is, you know, one position that you could, you know, tweak onto your roster, be the one that got defeated when a guy went on an ATV ride. Um, defensive back, and you kind of rush defensive tackle you can add a defensive line. Um, so just Richardson, the, the, the name that we know Seahawks have been interest in over the offseason. Maybe mm. they find a way to make that happen, that would be amazing. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is one that of been talking about a bunch, I still think it's a possibility. I told you I thought about Trevor Morgan. I don't think the team is necessarily sold on him. I'm not, I'm not leaving out the possibility that Tom Captain could get signed right at the end of the camp when they open game. Yeah, the other team just not happen. And the Seahawks come to where that could be a tweak and something that they can't do themselves. Catherine's got to be willing to take the backup role and he's going to be willing to take the backup money. So those are the two names that came to mind. Curious if any came to mind for you.
0: Yeah, I had the same thought on Sheldon Richardson. For a couple of reasons. Number one, I know he talked to the New York media a couple of weeks saying that the Seahawks did try to acquire him in the offseason and, but it was reliant on him reducing his salary and taking a pay cut. And I'm sure they weren't very happy that news got out because they like to keep things more or less pretty private as you saw with McDowell and that basically how they usually operate. Richardson's in the final year of his contract. He's uh do i believe eight million dollars this year which i don't know if they could work on their cap so they might need to move some money around or get him to take a pay cut but he's exactly the kind of guy who can fill the role they were envisioning malik mcdowell and say they draft say they make that earlier trade for Richardson, they tried to do i i strongly believe they wouldn't have drafted mcdowell and they would have gone a different direction in the first round because they have very similar skill sets they can play it both on base and they can play the end position they can stuff the run and they can move inside on third down and still give you that size advantage that you really don't get with Clark and a- I mean with Averill and Bennett, both amazing interior pass rushers. They're both lighter guys in terms of some of these bigger, disruptive 3-4 players that they can use. And Richardson's a guy that would make sense given the fact that the Jets are probably not trying to win this year. And Richardson's in the last year of his deal, and I highly doubt he's coming back. So any draft pick they could get, I imagine that could work out. And in terms of maybe a player for player, the Seahawks do have access at receiver. They have access at running back. Maybe they can turn that into something. I don't know if you're going to get a starting caliber player for Alex Collins or maybe one of these receivers, but I know Reggie McKenzie was at the game yesterday. I mean, not yesterday on Sunday, the Oakland Raiders GM and him and John Schneider are tight. So maybe there's a, a roster hole there but yeah if there's one area of the team that you see is, is that ninth defensive line spot and and jefferson really has not flashed from all indications and he's kind of that guy that could maybe fill that mcdowell role since it doesn't seem like he's gonna be playing anytime soon but i think right now if you can upgrade that spot and outside of that i don't really see many positions where they're going to try to bring someone in maybe the other, only other one would have been outside cornerback or slot cornerback, and it seems like the guy they could potentially get is in free agency and not a trade. So I'm with you on the defensive line thing.
1: Yeah, interesting. What
0: do you, uh, what do you think uh, of the Sammy trade? Yeah, yeah, that one uh, really caught me off guard. And the Rams went from being maybe the most unwatchable, boring <laughs> offensive team in football where it was just Todd Gurley, a terrible quarterback, and pretty average skill players, and a terrible offensive line, and all of a sudden they got Sean McVay, who's probably one of the smarter offensive coaches in the league. They they got Robert Woods and Cooper Cup at receiver, and they got some new tight ends. And Sammy Watkins is a yeah, he's going to upgrade them in the short term. It's a good player. He'll give them speed on the outside, which will open up other options, and he's going to be playing hard for a contract. But from a big-picture perspective, I know we don't want to get too much into the Rams. I kind of wonder what they're doing. They they have almost no vision for their personnel. One week, they're on a team that's kind of rebuilding, kind of setting a new culture. I don't know why you're giving up a second-round pick after you moved all those picks for Goff and you were down draft picks this year for a guy in an expiring contract. And even if you do keep them, you're either going to have to franchise tag them or pay him an exorbitant amount of money in a year where there's a ton of free agent receivers. So from a short-term perspective, sure, he's going to make them better at putting players around Jared Goff. But I kind of wonder about the team's vision and kind of their personnel movement. I don't think it was a smart move from that standpoint. And maybe he'll flash and play like he was in college and prove me completely wrong. But I, th- I thought it was almost a move of desperation from a GM who's
1: yeah, I mean, I, I need to get your hands on a one receiver. I think it, I understand why someone tries to do it, especially when you've already drafted a new It supposed to be a franchise quarterback. And you know, he's going to need all the help you can get. So, I mean, I think that was somewhat predictable. Um, I don't know. I think he's super talented. I don't know if he's shown the durability and consistency to make me really consider him a true number one. Um, probably in the minority there, but, but I don't put him in the class of, you know, the Julio Jones and the, and the A.J. Greens and, and those caliber players. I don't think he's actually that close to being in those, in, in those uh, players camps yet. And you could can, can actually be Julio Jones. Um, and if you've got Derek Goff throwing you the ball, <laughs> I mean, I think that that, and I think he's, he actually can make some really special throws, but can he can he consistently like, consistent game where he's making consistently good decisions and delivering the ball on target on time? 60 minutes. I see no evidence that. The guy didn't win a single game last year. Um, Say, quarterbacks don't win games, I get it, but you put Russell Wilson on that team, it tells me they would have found one of those games. (laughs) I I do believe the guy that holds the ball every time on offense does play a pretty big factor in determining whether you, you come out with a victory. So. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's going to power balance in the division or anything like that. I'm not concerned about it. Nice um, to see someone in the league in a division to play against, but that's about it um, as far as my interpretation of analysis of that move.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And I still see the Cardinals as the team in the West that if there's anyone who's going to challenge Seattle, it's them. And from the Rams' perspective, they're kind of an interesting team because they're going to just be schemed so much differently than what we've seen out of them. Wade Phillips is one of the toughest defensive guys in the league. He's such a good game planner, and he's such a creative play caller. And McVay's kind of the same way in offense. He really put pieces around Kirk Cousins to make him successful, and they're going to try to do the same with Jared Goff. So they're going to be a lot more interesting but I still think they got a long way to go, especially with what you said at Goff at quarterback. I didn't see any evidence that he's even close to a franchise guy. But yeah, that's that's kind of all I really want to get into on the Rams. I want to keep this more Seattle heavy. So moving on to the Minnesota game, Seattle's got a short week this week. They're playing Friday night, 7 p.m. Pacific time, and quick turnaround from the Sunday game, but I guess based on what we saw in the last game, is there any player that you would like to see more than we saw in the last game? Maybe it's a starter, maybe it's a bubble player, and maybe someone you'd like to see less of.
1: Well, Marcus Smith jumps out to me. Um, you know, he's a guy who I've seen in practice just some patch potential, and I think the team's pretty excited about him. Uh, you know, talked about it, stand stand linebacker. I definitely don't see him having a good ability to play linebacker. Uh, but um, I think he can be a defense man for this team and, and rush the pass for a little bit. So I'm hoping he gets in there. Uh, absolutely want to be Jack Griffin. Then another game together. I thought he was solid. Let's see more of that. Um, you know, there were positions, a lot going on there. Um, in case he wanted to again, I think he's, he's no way to have four catches like that in a game and don't get more chances this time around. So that's a big one. Um yeah, go on. I basically want to see every single person on the roster. <laughs> I mean <laughs> my favorite guys of the year, like really. all these guys are writing their stories and uh you know not know what gonna what the next turn twist is gonna be. So who who's a top of mine for you?
0: Yeah. I think I I mentioned this earlier. It's for sure. The first guy that comes to mind and I want to stop. I don't want to have to bang on the same topic every week. It's just Ethan Posich. I want to see him play against better competition. He looked fantastic on tape from what all indications were and uh, the Vikings defensive line from end to end defensive linemen, the tackles They're they're a loaded defensive group with Mike Zimmer there. And I want to see how he holds up, but I don't want to keep talking about him every week and, I guess the next guy would be Marcus Smith and he's an intriguing pass rusher. He gives them a, what they view him as just a speed rusher off the edge. Kind of what Bruce Irvin used to be in that role. Maybe not as uh, refined as him, but Marsh is a solid pass rusher and Bass looked like a solid, but they don't really have that speed guy like Cliff Averill provides. And if you can have him and have Marcus Smith as a guy right behind him on your roster. That really gives them some good depth. So the team seems very buzzy about him, but he hasn't done much on the field and he's didn't do much in Philadelphia. He was more of a flash player in college, but he's a guy I want to watch closely. I know Minnesota does not have the best offensive line. They might be in a worse situation than Seattle from a personnel perspective. They don't have the depth, even the talent that they have. That'd be nice. But So I'm interested to see how they move around all these linemen, David Bass and Marcus Smith and even Marsh a little bit. And I guess on offense, you, you hit on this earlier, and it's got to be Darbo. Because Darbo didn't make it to the game, and unless he starts flashing, I need to see something on tape. And McAvoy is, seems like a consistent player, Lawler, all the guys we keep talking about, but that's the most contested battle on the team. And you look everywhere else, and things more or less seem to be lining up except for that position. So until Darbo starts showing it, and I know he's a third-round pick. I know he played in a pro-style system, but I just need to see it, right? And I, I imagine you do too.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And, uh, look, more than any individual player, let's see if they can mm-hmm. capture the same energy and feeling. Yeah, and,
0: that's, that's a great point.
1: Just general tone that they set in that first game. Um, they were more physical, they were more aggressive than they were uh, um, more energetic, and it just felt different. And I know that that's kind of sounds Homer it sounds like, a, a, you know, it's a preseason game to be talking about, but I don't know, you, you're the same as me. I, I've watched every preseason game pretty much since they have been televising them, um, but definitely all the ones in the Pete Carroll era. And 2012 and 2013 felt different. And, when 2014 rolled around, there was a year after the Super Bowl, and I remember that was in the first preseason games. maybe might be in the first, was in Denver, and Denver was making yeah. a big deal about it. Like, this is our re- you know, rematch, we're going to show them, and Denver ended up winning that game, and I remember writing the morning after calling, not about Denver winning, but me being really concerned that that Seahawks' death went to the second team and the third team, it wasn't the same anymore. The the in 2012, 2013, it wasn't the starters that was that were blowing out the other teams. It was when they got the second and third teams, Seahawks just really extended. And um, that's what this felt like. That this felt like. It felt like a return to that, and it felt genuine. Um, you know, there was no posturing, there was no like trying to look a certain way. You saw in the faces, those guys were into it and they were excited genuinely. They were cheering for each other, playing for each other. They talked about that, but I think you could see it. So, more than any individual performance, just seeing that man, that's the kind of thing you can really build a special season on. And that's what got me excited.
0: And the fun part is, they're going to be at home. And a lot of these new players, they've never played a CenturyLink before and they've probably heard about it or. Seeing games on TV, but I know the you talk to the players a lot more than I do. I know the first time they play in CenturyLink, even in a preseason game, I always catch them off guard about how loud that place is and just the buzz of playing on the field. And yeah, that that's kind of the sense I've gotten from the team that they've gotten that family maybe feel back. And I know Charles Robinson from Yahoo wrote this story kind of about how the players were reacting to the window apparently closing and. The take I kind of got was this me against the world thing that kind of drew the Seahawks during their Super Bowl years. Yep. It feels like it's back, and everyone kind of thinks this group is finished and this group is done. I know Peter King has hit on this point that it's the last year these guys are playing together, even though pretty much all their starters on defense are signed back for next season now. I think they've rallied around that. Maybe that Seth Wickersham article we talked about earlier in the show, I mean earlier in our first show, I think it's brought this team closer together and wasn't something that's been around this team the last two years with that cloud of the Super Bowl hanging around, but maybe with these boosts of depth and boost of young players and maybe everyone's starting to doubt them again. They seem to have that fire back. and I know there's been – if you watch the game closely, that first preseason game, when, when these backups like Casey and Williams were making these catches, look who's on the sidelines pumping up the refs and pumping up the team. It's the core players. It's Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman. Russell Wilson and Jimmy Graham and these guys are on the sidelines jumping around I don't know if we'd seen that definitely not last year but there was just a different vibe to watching that team when they're flying around and I know John Middlecoff who's one of the guys I've always talked to around the league and he's one of the more interesting Twitter follows. he was a former uh, scout and personnel guy with the Eagles I remember he tweeted during that first quarter that there's just something different about watching a Pete Carroll team and they're like a dying breed in the NFL. Just they're flying around the ball, and every tackle is different. And that—that uh, that was exactly the feel I got from watching the team on tape. And you yeah. want to see that carry over because when they play like that, just the whole vibe of the field, and the whole vibe of the game, just makes the ball. And how many takeaways did they have? Four, Four. takeaways. Yeah, and that's kind of a thing that's gone away from them the last couple of years. Right. Maybe they haven't had that in big pass rusher or the playmaking corner, but. When you see that and you see the running game, opening up, play action, I'm starting to think they've kind of got that formula back. Maybe I'm reacting to a game against a team that doesn't have much depth, but I felt very good coming out of that game. I don't know how you felt, but I hope I don't overreacting.
1: <laughs> usually feels pretty good. Uh, look, uh, you know, I want to end the, the show on a down note because I, I really am super excited about the you going. Well, one of the biggest things they gotta figure out is their is their run game, and I think that's still a yep. real question. And, and that's one of the things we gotta see. They'll have a huge test this weekend, I mean, this is Friday, if, if they're able to run the ball with any kind of consistency. I'm not talking about eight, 10 yards. I'm talking, about can they get three to four yards with any consistency against this the Vikings defense? That'd be a huge accomplishment because all they need, you know, this is a team that if they can average four yards of carry. You know. Um, uh, this offense can just be special. So, but right now, I mean, look, the number one running back on the team in terms of yards for carry, I think, was Mike Davis. I think he was, I want to say he was over four yards, but everyone else was under three. Um, You know, I think even Chris Carson was like two and a half, or 2.7 or something like that. So, uh, that's not going to cut it. You know, they, they, they need to be a high yards per carry team. And um, this offensive line, as much as Cable keeps you know, mixing and matching, trying to find his best five, it's time to pick them. Pick them and let them start working together. F- work on coordination, run blocking, I know a lot about coordination, especially in zone blocking. You know, I, I know I'm beating a dead horse, but enough already. Like, pick your five. Get him on the field, you know. Let him, let him gel, and um, hopefully after this game, they'll be ready to do that.
0: Yeah, and I, I would have liked to hit on this earlier. Actually, I didn't mention him as a guy I'd like to see more of. It's, I don't think any of us have mentioned him, but Bushi is a guy I would kind of like to see more of, especially in this game. And I said it earlier, I, Mark Lewinsky is a guy I'm starting to grow a little concerned about. I know. When Football Outsiders released their uh, stats from last year, there's some of their advanced metrics. I think he was one of the highest players at his position. I know he's moving back to his more natural spot, but the area he struggled with was missed blocks. And that was something I read on Twitter. I can't remember from who exactly, but when I watched the film last game, that jumped off the page with me with Glowinski. And I didn't notice the Bushi at all, which is usually a good thing for an offensive lineman. If you don't notice him, that means they're doing their job or they're not whiffing like a was. So I w- I'd like to see a bushy get a little more snaps with the ones and every day in practice, it seems like the story is different, which it's kind of irritating as what you were just saying. At some point, you just let these guys grow together. You can't keep changing positions every day and every week and moving guys around. I know versatility is important, but chemistry is super important. And you start to see it a bit with Fant and Jokel on the left side. They've really, help with chip blocks and moving some guys around and picking up for each other. But on the right side, every day is different and they really need to settle that down. And each preseason game, you're going against good defensive lines. I think they play the chiefs in the third week and the Raiders in the next week. And then the Packers have some pretty hefty players when they start the season. So yeah, you're right. That's an area we need to see kind of settle down and stop with a charade of moving guys every day and every game and let these guys grow.
1: Yep. makes sense. I really wish I could have uh, poured you a glass uh, of this beer because <laughs> uh, I have to admit I haven't had it before and uh, whatever they they making down there in Aberdeen, I have to get back to John because I don't know what, I know it's an IPA, but I don't know which one of their IPAs, but this is good. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, the from the show, I have to be supportive and all that, but even though it wasn't, this is uh, one of my favorite beers now, so... Uh, I have to at least encourage people to uh, make the trip down and, and get some beer because uh, this was excellent, and this uh, this little guy is going to be making a, an appearance on a regular basis on the show. So um, I hope other people are willing to uh, join me, and and maybe next week, Jeff, you can uh, bring one of your favorite brews on and uh, can have a little uh, a little beer tasting.
0: I'll never say no to a beer, especially this time of night.
1: You're Canadian I, for forgotten. Maybe, maybe you'll to just have one like come out of your hat in a straw or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I got I gotta learn my uh show uh, morale and this will help me so <laughs> help me going forward. But maybe maybe I offer one to John Schneider and get him on the show. I know he likes uh, that. Any
1: man in any, any Georgetown brewery he will he will be drinking, but uh he's a big fan.
0: All right, man. I, I think that's I think that's a good way to wrap up this week, and we'll be back early next week to talk about the game. And I imagine our roster is going to look very differently next week, where we see more starters. And with this team, you never know. There's always news. Who knows? There could be a trade this week. If Mike Garofalo is onto something, Tremaine Brock could be on the team. And we'll be previewing the third and the third, and probably the most important preseason game in our next show. That's usually where you see the starters for at least two quarters, maybe three. And yeah, each week of this team, it never gets boring. So, Brian, if you have anything else to end on, I, th- I think that's good for me.
1: That sounds good, Jeff. Good talking to you, and uh, go Hawks as always.
0: Exactly. Yeah, another fun show. All right, everyone, have a good one, and thanks for listening.